Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When I bought an RV camper, me and my friends decided to cruise down the seemingly endless highways of Texas. The sun was beginning to dip below the horizon, casting long shadows over the open road. Inside our newly purchased RV camper, excitement buzzed among our group of friends as we embarked on this cross-country adventure. We had dreams of discovering hidden gems, roadside attractions, and the simple joy of the open road. As night fell, fatigue set in, and, and we decided it was time to find a place to rest. That's when we stumbled upon the eerie quiet of an abandoned roadside rest stop. The faded sign, barely visible in the moonlight, hinted at a time when this place bustled with life. Tired but eager for a good night's sleep, we parked the RV in a desolate corner of the rest stop. The surroundings were silent, save for the gentle creaking of the RV settling into place. The air was thick with anticipation as we prepared to sleep beneath the vast Texas sky. However, the stillness of the night was shattered by an odd symphony of noises emanating from the nearby woods. Branches rustled, leaves crunched, and an otherworldly howl echoed through the darkness. Dismissing it as the typical sounds of nature, we tried to settle in. As the night progressed, the noises in the woods became more pronounced, more unsettling. Whispers of the wind turned into guttural growls and shadows danced among the trees. Unease settled over the group, and curiosity got the better of us. 
With a mix of trepidation and excitement, we decided to investigate the source of the strange occurrences. Venturing into the woods, our flashlight beams cut through the thick darkness. The trees loomed overhead like silent sentinels, their gnarled branches casting eerie shadows on the forest floor. As we delved deeper, an unsettling feeling crawled up our spines, and the air grew heavy with an unspoken dread. Suddenly, in a small clearing, our flashlights caught a glimpse of something massive and hairy, the silhouette of a creature resembling a colossal, upright ape stood before us. Its eyes glowed in the darkness, reflecting an unnatural intelligence. A chill ran down our spines as we comprehended the enormity of the situation. When the creature resembling a massive, hulking Bigfoot locked eyes with us, a low growl rumbled from deep within its chest. Fear seized us, and without a moment's hesitation, we turned and ran back towards the safety of the RV. As we stumbled over tree roots and underbrush, the creature's growls intensified, and the earth seemed to quake beneath its thunderous footsteps. The RV came into view, a beacon of safety in the chaos of the night. With hearts pounding and breathless gasps, we clambered inside, slamming the door shut behind us. The engine roared to life as our driver floored the accelerator, leaving the abandoned rest stop and the menacing creature behind. As we sped away, the woods echoed with the creature's enraged roars fading into the distance. I can tell you from memory it was roughly midnight, one in the morning. I was right around the area near Lolo Pass. It was my first time working in this particular district, so it made me very nervous knowing about all the recorded sightings and weird experiences everyone had been having before. It's pretty isolated out here, so even if something strange doesn't happen, you're definitely inclined to hear or feel something, so you can't even get cell service there. You feel very secluded. If anything happens to your vehicle or yourself fall out on patrol, this is a place where Bigfoot has been sighted too many times, but to not give it the respect it deserves from a safety standpoint. So anyway, I had already radioed back to dispatch at HQ earlier that evening, saying I was going to be checking up on some puddle, offs between mile marker 44 and 42, right along Highway 12. Quite a few people have seen Bigfoot in this area. It's pretty much just bushy and a lot of thicket on both sides of the highway. It also definitely gets very, very dark out here at night. So there I am, driving down the road and minding my own business, and my radio starts to have issues. I heard voices, but they were garbled and breaking up. There was nobody else out on patrol with me, though, so I thought maybe other rangers were trying to talk to me. But then I realized they aren't saying anything. It's just static noise coming through that kind of sounded like words. Then all of a sudden, this piercing noise comes out over the normal background, and I blacked out for what felt like seconds but was probably more like a minute. Somehow I didn't crash the truck. I remember how it felt like that I was stuck in time and could see myself sitting in the car driving, but it's like I was looking at everything through a foggy lens. I quickly snapped back into reality. It felt very disorientating, almost dreamlike, and then when I came to my senses, I realized that all this had happened while my patrol vehicle was still moving up the road. I tried to contact HQ again, but the garbled noise stopped for good after that moment, and my radio went back to normal. So did my headlights. Everything was fine again. There were no signs of any deer on the roads or anything around here where you would normally expect them to be. This area is heavily populated in deer, and they're always out at night, so did not see any. Very strange that made me confused and, in turn, got paranoid. I just wanted out of here ASAP, so I try not to spend too much time investigating. The next day, when I was filling out my reports and dispatch, one of the other rangers, who had already worked in that district for a long time, told me about this phenomena he called radio fodded. 
He said it happens all the time when you're out there in what he called ghost territory, which is basically anywhere there's been Bigfoot sightings or activity before. He says the electricity in the air is just different. Your radio starts acting weird and goes black for periods of time. You also feel like you'll black out too. He's had times where he's gone out there and his blood sugar has randomly spiked. He's fallen unconscious or feels like his nerves and feet and hands are on fire. Strange stuff, really strange. You're alone and you probably won't notice it even though it sounds like someone or something is trying to talk to you through the static noise. It's really just interference that mimics voices. If you're with somebody else, though, they might not notice it as much as you, because it feels like time goes by differently when this happens, and you aren't sure how long the blackouts will last for. All the sensations are very bizarre, not to mention something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Well, the day after this was pretty uneventful, nothing had happened. But I've heard multiple accounts of other rangers, too, having very strange experiences out there in that same spot between mile marker 42 and 44. Even other people who do search and rescue when they have to be in that area and radio in, they also have reported strange radio chatter and blacking out. The only logical explanation that I could possibly come up with for such a phenomenon would be a magnetic field disruption or some other natural effect. That's the only thing because there's nothing else that's going to interfere with the frequency of our brains and bodies or just the energy around us other than a magnetic field interruption. I don't know if that's synonymous with Bigfoot activity, but there's definitely something going on. Unfortunately, there's no way to prove something like this one way or the other. It's very odd, though, and makes me think twice before I go out on patrol alone after sundown. I'm not sure what really happens to people who get blacked out by whatever that noise was. I think the best way to describe it is like being caught in a time warp or something, but I could be wrong. Overall, I have not had any other experiences like that night out near the mountain. Certainly nothing as terrifying as what happened there the year before I started working. Let me get into that. So I was just finishing up my last week of training in another district when this guy came into our office looking for advice. He and his friends were planning on hiking up a timberline link, which is already known for having Bigfoot activity. But they said their main reason for wanting to go, there was somebody had posted weird photos of sticks arranged in strange patterns, inciting that there was Bigfoot evidence. They asked if anything strange like that has happened in the area, and I knew from past reports that rangers always talked about weird things being found up there, so I just told them to be careful if they did decide to go. Although it wasn't until a week later when my training was finally over, I began working at Timberline where I heard what had happened to them. They left the trailhead one night after it got dark. They thought going early would let them beat all the snow and were getting but only made it a mile or two before turning back around because of how difficult it was trying to navigate across fresh snowdrifts, especially that high up the mountainside. The next morning, a ranger out on patrol noticed something strange ahead of him down below, all while he was driving up the access road. When his truck got closer, he saw that there were footprints. It was a giant barefoot, but it didn't look like a bear or anything else native to the area due to how large, deep, and far apart the tracks were spaced. It looked more like somebody wearing boots with about an extra two feet of depth across each step from what you would expect from someone's actual foot size. Plus, there were only three toes on each side, which is very unusual for any living creature. Or anywhere else, mind you, most have paws and several toes. Anyway, the ranger carefully followed the prints all the way to the near Timberline Lake, where they just stopped out of nowhere as if somebody had just taken flight. The ranger tried to follow the tracks back, but it was impossible because they had already been covered with snow at that point, so he called in help from other civil rangers trying to get clues on the types of footprints that were there. 
They walked around Timberline Lake for hours, looking everywhere, but could not find anything until they checked down at the water's edge near one of the wooden boat docks, and they were more along the embankment, and they stopped abruptly again. This is where they found very weird stick formations, like the same kind you would see in movies like the Blair Witch Project, but on a much larger scale. They just kind of appeared out of nowhere and were very, very creepy. After this, the other rangers and I spent a lot of time walking around this area, but we never found anything else. We could not figure out why somebody would have been wearing boots so big for hiking up the mountain during wintertime, although they looked more like human tracks or whether they could have possibly come from or gone without leaving any more tracks wherever they disappeared toward. Nothing made sense. It was also weird because there were no other prints leading up to those ones from anywhere near the trailhead, which meant whoever made those had walked all the way up from somewhere down below, on flat ground where there should have been plenty of other footprints instead. It's still a big mystery as far as I know, unless it might be one of the other rangers or park service or another law enforcement group who has been trying to mess with us, but that's very unlikely. The other weird thing is whoever was walking around leaving those tracks would have to have been considerable weight considering the indent in the snow. And then, of course, there was a report from a young woman whose son refused to go into a certain part of the state forest. He was so scared by what he saw in there, and she said his story kept changing whenever she asked him what made him afraid in the first place. He claimed he saw something big walking around staring at him but it wasn't a person like a man or a bear, but claimed it was walking on two legs. Did not look like any type of animal he had ever seen before. Sometimes he kept saying that whatever it was had very long arms and legs, but virtually no neck, and his parents even took him to see the local doctor who kind of did an exam on him, but found nothing wrong. Look, I'm not really sure what to make of all this either. But as you've seen, things get pretty crazy out here on the job. And I myself am still very unsure of what to believe and what not to believe. Everything seems so surreal. And to be honest, truth is stranger than fiction. Middle of the night in the Sierra Nevadas, California inside a debris hut with my dad, Zone X-12 to be exact. We hiked in about six miles for the beginning of the archery hunt deer, get woken to a blood-curdling scream around 2 a.m. right outside our hut. We could only make out a partial shadow through the leaves and twigs. Only way I can describe it is a very furry horse, but standing on two legs. The death sounds went on for two. Three minutes while we're freaking out trying to knock an arrow. Spent the rest of the night wide awake. That morning we couldn't find a trace. No footprints or tracks in the dirt. Nothing. The first thing that came to mind was that it must have been a mountain lion. We've heard mountain lions scream before. But this was nothing like a mountain lion. It was deeper, more visceral. We haven't been back since. What could this be? In 2010, my adventurous spirit led me to the Himalayas in India. Along with a group of fellow trekkers, we set out to explore the beauty of this untamed mountain. As we trekked up to 12,000 feet, the landscape unfolded before us like a mesmerizing tapestry of snow-capped peaks and rugged valleys. Our excitement was palpable as we immersed ourselves in the stunning scenery. On one particular day, as the sun dipped below the horizon, we encountered a peculiar sight. A man, seemingly intoxicated, stumbled upon our path, accompanied by an astonishing number of goats. It was a bizarre sight to witness this man herding such a large flock of goats at such high altitude. We exchanged curious glances, but decided to continue on our way, leaving the drunken herder and his goats behind. Choosing a spot to camp for the night, we settled on an overhang of a cliff about 500 yards away from the mysterious man and his herd. 
The thought of a snow leopard in the vicinity lingered in our minds, but we brushed it off as a distant possibility. The night draped around us like a thick cloak, and we huddled in our paper-thin tents. The altitude brought a chill to the air, and we wrapped ourselves in our sleeping bags for warmth. Just as we began to drift into sleep, a bone-chilling scream shattered the serene mountain silence. It was a sound that sent shivers down our spines, unlike anything we had ever heard before. Fear gripped us as we realized the scream was coming from a man, and it was alarmingly close to our campsite. In the darkness, we held our breath, paralyzed with terror. The night seemed to stretch on endlessly as we listened helplessly to the agonizing cries of the man who was being dragged away by an unseen force. I peeked through a small hole in tent, and I saw a creature that seemed to look like a snow yeti or snow bigfoot, white snowy fur, twelve feet tall and with red glowing eyes. The encounter was surreal and terrifying and there was an overwhelming sense of helplessness as we heard a life being taken miles away from any town or civilization. The very notion that we were amidst the habitat of such a mysterious and dangerous creature left us feeling vulnerable and exposed. With each passing second, the harrowing sounds faded into the distance, leaving us to confront the reality of what we had just experienced. When morning finally arrived, the sun brought a sense of relief. There was no trace of the man, nor any sign of the massive flock of goats he had been herding. As we packed up our camp and continued our trek, we were haunted by the chilling events of the previous night. My family goes on trips to Telluride, Colorado, once in a while up in the San Juan Mountains in the Rockies. On one trip a year or two ago, I decided to take the gondola to the top of Mount Sophia and walk along some of the trails to get a good look at the stars at around 10 p.m. at night by myself. I walked for about 20 minutes and 200, 300 feet in altitude. It's very steep along the trails on top of the mountain. Away from the gondola station so there wouldn't be any light. The trail I was on ascends from about 10,000 feet to about 13,000 feet at its peak, along the span of the mountains surrounding Telluride. Every 100, 200 feet you go up there is a semi-flat clearing fringed by the sheer drop-off on either side of the mountain spine. I was standing in the second clearing up from the gondola station. It was very quiet, very dark, and there wasn't even the slightest breeze. So quiet, in fact, that all I could hear was my own breathing. Since I was so high in altitude, it wasn't completely unexpected for there to be no animal noises, since most animals don't live that high. But the lack of any sensory input at all, besides the sound of my own breath, really started to freak me out. I was up on the mountain for about a half hour when weird shit started to happen. The first thing that happened was an incredibly low but loud humming sound that emanated from the east side of the mountain, I would estimate that the noise was coming from about 100 feet below the clearing where I was sitting. I thought at first it may be a mountain lion or some other type of animal, but the noise was consistent and lasted for about five minutes in total. After the noise got off, I was understandably freaked out and got up to start heading back to the gondola station to go back to my hotel. As I started walking, though, there was suddenly a loud slapping sound coming from the west side of the mountain. The slapping sound sounded like someone taking a long stick and slamming it against a tree trunk as hard as they could in very fast succession. After that, I started to run down the mountain which was dangerous considering how steep it was, but I was understandably noping the F out there as fast as I could. The final thing that happened while I was still near the clearing was the humming sound again, but this time it was pulsating almost in sync with the sound of the knocking wood. By the time I reached the first clearing before the one I was on, about 100 feet below where I first heard the noises, it became deathly silent again followed by a huge gust of wind that shook all the trees violently, then followed by complete and utter silence. 
I reached the gondola station and got a scolding from the attendant for going out in the dark by myself, but I was so scared I just silently got in a gondola car and didn't respond to his comments. The whole trip down, I kept my eyes shut and my fingers in my ears so I wouldn't see or hear any more creepy things. I'm sure there are plenty of explanations, both natural and human, for what I experienced, but being that isolated at that late at night, that high up in the mountains, is certainly an experience I do not want to repeat. I will say this, if it was local kids or something trying to scare me, they sure committed to a mostly unfruitful and dangerous effort. Not a lot of people, if any, went up on the trail where I was that late at night, and the places the sounds were emanating from were on very steep inclines, so steep that one slip would have you tumbling down the whole mountain. So I'm fairly convinced it wasn't locals pranking me. This happened to me a few years ago. I used to go to school at the University of California, Santa Cruz. I'm a runner and the campus is in a beautiful redwood forest, so I would run on the trails. One day I left a little later than usual on a run through one of the more isolated trails. Here's where it gets weird. I was about 15 minutes running deep into the woods and still hadn't seen anyone else around. Suddenly up ahead I saw what appeared to be a homeless man in ragged clothing walking on the trail. Now he was walking further into the woods, and this path went very, very far, and the sun was setting. Like, hey, this man was spending the night in the woods. I wanted to reach my usual running checkpoint before turning back, so I decided to keep my distance and run by. As soon as I passed the man, he called out to me, What came first? Lighter sound. In my head, I was like, this guy is nuts, but I decided to humor him and yelled out light without looking back. He said, well, I think it's sound, but who knows, and started mumbling to himself. I continued on. I reached my goal and started to head back. It was really dark now, and I was feeling sketched out that I had to pass this guy again to get back. He seemed pretty crazy and potentially dangerous, but I didn't have a choice. I got past the point where I first passed him, but he was nowhere to be seen. There weren't any other branches of the trail, and if he had headed back, I would have seen him by then. He must have gone off the trail. Suddenly, a girl from up on a hill screamed for me to stop. I stopped and looked up on the hill, but it was too dark to see anything. I was freaked out. I called out to ask if she was all right, and eventually saw her climbing down. The hill was really steep, so she put in a lot of effort to get up there and away from whatever was after her. She said that she was on a run when a scary homeless guy started harassing her, and he chased her up the hill. But she didn't know where he went. She was going to spend the night there until I came along because she was too scared to go back down. At this point, we both wanted to get the hell out of there. Who knew if this creepy man was like lurking around watching us from the dark? So we ran back together and made it to the road. She thanked me and we parted ways. Never ran back on that trail again. Santa Cruz can be a pretty weird place. I've heard legends of students flunking out of school there and then just living in the forest. Maybe this guy was a student from years past. It was bow season in the coast range of Oregon. My dad decided that he wanted to take my mom bow hunting and out for a cool experience in the woods. It was evening and he decided to park his car up on a landing and watch the sunset and stars with my mom. They were asleep in the back of the wagon and were woke suddenly by a guy screaming and revving his old Key 5 while his bright lights were directed at my dad's car. The guy was screaming at my old man to get the F out here. You picked the wrong road to be on. I'm going to blow your elf head off. My dad whispered to my mom to stay covered up and not to make any noise or movement. My old man had been in special forces and had also been an MP. He didn't, however, have anything except his bow. The stranger wasn't having any of it. I told you to get the F out here and I mean it. Now, my dad yelled out the window, all right, man. I'm getting out. 
He slowly got out of the car while keeping the car between them. My mom said she could hear the guy work the boat on his rifle and just knew my dad was dead. I don't know exactly what was said, but my mom said she heard my dad start talking to the guy, calm as could be. She said she heard the guy and said he sounded like he was drunk or on drugs. Eventually, my dad was able to talk the guy down and he eventually left. After they watched the guy drive up to the next landing and sit there, my dad got in his car and told my mom to just stay put in the back and under blanket while he drove out of there. My mom said that as soon as they took off, they saw the guy start speeding their way. It turned into a car chase on a logging road with a long track to get back to the main road. She said it took forever for my dad to lose him, but eventually they did. Said she has never been more scared of anything in her life. I don't know if anyone believes in Bigfoot, and I'm not sure if I do, but I wanted to tell this story. I never tell people because I know they won't believe me, and I don't want to be labeled a liar. But here we go. So about five, maybe six years ago, me and my friend snuck out of my house late one night in my house had a river behind it and a forest across the road in front. So we go out and walk around smoking a cigar I stole from my dad. We walked around for about an hour. By then it would have been around 3 a.m. As we got closer to my house walking along the forest line, I turned to my friend and looked past him into the forest. About 10 feet past the tree line, I see a big human-shaped thing with no neck or a very muscular neck and big shoulders. It was looking out at us. I froze and said to my friend, Do you see that he looks over? And starts running as fast as he could, and so did I. When we got back to my house, we called it an alien. Didn't know what else to call it. It didn't look human. Wasn't till about three years later that I told my brother about it, and my dad and I had described it to them. It was big, about eight feet tall, had a black body with a gold-color head. So my brother looks up what I saw in Google and something called Old Yellow Top comes up described as a Bigfoot with dark body and yellow head. And what makes it even more crazy is the sighting are in Ontario, Canada. And I also live in Ontario, Canada. I think the first sighting is from early 1900s and me and my friend both 20 years old now. Still to this day is where we saw something in the forest that night. All I know is I never felt that kind of fear before, and I don't think I ever will again. We were stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. This was back in 1990. I was still a newbie on my first deployment. I had been in the Army for 11 months and was still considered in the training phase of my military occupation specialty. I was 19, and there were six other guys out with me on a mission, and I was the designated driver. This was a training mission from hell. We were on a recon mission for some reason or another, and we were out of sight of earshot on the countryside. As we were, you get used to seeing wildlife skitter past and hearing it as well. The deer would constantly amble across the roads. Rabbits, raccoons, jackrabbits, and all sorts of birds would be seen very frequently. I was driving the lead vehicle, a two-man jeep with all sorts of radios. They were not much for comfort, but they sure got the job done. I drove us down a long stretch of road, and in my rearview mirror, I noticed something large and black run off to the left side of the road into the woods. Once we got past where it had vanished, I thought nothing of it other than that it must have been a deer or something. After all, it was the middle of the afternoon, and I had seen all sorts of wildlife out here before. It wasn't until the sun had started to set again that I now noticed it. I looked out to my right and saw a large black figure, maybe 500 feet away. It was shambling out of the woods and into a clearing. It was roughly man-sized, but it did not walk like a man. It walked slowly and awkwardly, almost as if it were hurt. It was hunched over, and the way it moved its arms, I couldn't quite see what its hands were like. All I could make out was that it was black, but had no discernible clothing or anything on it. 
It also appeared to be extremely muscular. I sat there in awe for a moment, pondering what it could be. I decided to pull over and find out. I stopped the jeep, turning off the engine. There were no other vehicles in sight, so I thought it was safe to get out. I pulled my rifle off my shoulder and slung it. I grabbed my field radio, switching it on. King to all of us. Hey, is anyone else seeing this? I whispered. All the radios buzzed with static for a moment, and then one of my squad mates answered. Yeah, I don't know, but you should see it too. I said as I walked around the jeep to get a better look. He told me he couldn't see it and said, what is it? Is it on the road? He had asked. No, it's in a clearing to my right. It's walking right there towards the tree line. I'm going to try and get closer, I said. Wait, they told me. I gave a few quick glances back and forth behind me, checking to make sure nobody else was there, and then I carefully crept towards the clearing. I finally got up to the tree line. Looking through the trees, it was gone. My squad mate appeared over the radio. Hey, I can't see it. Where is it? I don't know. It was right here, I swear. I'd whispered back. That's not possible. I wouldn't have seen it. Well, I'm telling you it was here, I said, pulling my field radio off my belt and switching it back off. We sat there a few moments, waiting to see if it would reappear in the clearing. It did not. At this point, I was pretty freaked out and decided to head back to the jeep. I walked with my rifle at the low ready, pointed at the ground, but with my finger resting on the trigger. I didn't tell them that I was heading back yet. I wanted to see if it would reappear. I got back to the clearing and took a look around. Nothing. I turned and headed back to the jeep. I was walking away from it. Then a scream came out on the radio. My squad mate screamed. I shouted back. I heard him scream again. I shouted, What again? As loud as I could without attracting the attention from the other jeep. He did not answer. I asked what was going on. So I ran back to the jeep and jumping in. I didn't see the radio man anymore. What's going on and where did everybody go? He had asked. Before I could answer, there was a crashing through the trees. We both jumped out of the jeep to see what it was. What we saw will haunt us for the rest of our lives. It was my squad mate. He was screaming, running straight toward us. He was bleeding from multiple gashes, and he had this black thing chasing him. Whatever the black thing was, it wasn't human. It was a mangled, twisted black figure moving like a man, but not quite human. My buddy from the jeep and I stood there frozen in horror, watching our friend run towards us. We didn't know what to do. When my buddy saw that our friend was being chased by this thing, he turned and ran back. I just reacted, grabbed my rifle, pointed it directly at this being. I pulled the trigger, firing a spray of bullets on him. I don't know if it hit him or not, but he stopped, and when I stopped shooting, he then began to advance on me. I was about to take another burst at him when my friend jumped in the jeep and shouted for me to get in. I jumped in the jeep beside him after getting out to shoot at this thing, and he throws it into reverse and punches the gas. The tire spun, gravel flying everywhere, and he tried to get us turned around for a quick exit. He finally got us pointed in the right direction, and we went flying back out the way we came. I looked behind us for any sign of that thing, but I couldn't see it anymore. As we drove on, I could hear my friend whimpering next to me. He had his hand pressed against the deep, oozing gash in his right arm. I reached into the first aid kit and pulled out a field dressing. Here, put this against the wound. He took it, pressed it against the injury, but not before I saw his fingers were raw and red. He had somehow gotten that gash without realizing it when he was running from the creature. We can now hear this thing chasing our jeep in the woods. It was paralleling us from inside the woods, but just outside of you. We could hear it crashing around. This wasn't possible. I had shot it several times, and it should have been heard badly enough to be able to not keep up with us. After a few more minutes, the crashing in the woods stopped, and my buddy grabbed my shoulder and said, Don't look back. So what do I do? I immediately turned around and looked back behind us. There were several of these beings running after us in the woods. I looked back at my buddy, and he was white as a ghost. I was trying to make out just how many there were, easily over four or five. And they shouted, What are they? I don't know, but we're not sticking around to find out. 
He nodded, and we kept going as fast as the jeep would allow us. The radio man is screaming, guys, what is that? And we shouted, we don't know, guys. We heard the gunshots. What is going on out there? My buddy overcame his fear for a moment, trying to explain what he saw as best as he could. I looked back and saw that those things were now running through the woods beside us, keeping pace with our jeep. This was unreal. I don't know how long we drove, but eventually the jeep stopped in front of a guard shack at the same kind of base. I couldn't make out the insignia in the dark, but it did not look like anything I'd ever seen before. We got out of the jeep and ran into the shack. The two guards manning the gate had their weapons pointed at us. What is the emergency? My buddy stumbled, trying to catch his breath, and explained, We, we were headed to the front gate, and, and there's a thing chasing us. We were still in training, and we ran into something in the woods. Please help us. This thing chased us all the way here. The guards looked at each other, and then the closest one to my friend pulled him over to a corner for a private conversation. I couldn't hear what was being said, but I could see my friend's face turn from fear to anger. The other guy approached me. I'm a sorry, son. We can't let you in. I was taken aback by his words. What? I just saw my friend get attacked and chased by something, and you're not going to let us in. The guard's voice is firm but calm. Truth is, you're not authorized to be here. I'm afraid we can't let you in. I was getting frustrated. Nobody comes into this space unauthorized. You have to understand that. Now, please get back in your jeep. I was dumbfounded. What's going on here? This is part of our base. The guard spoke in a firm and resolute tone. I understand you're upset. Now, please go. I looked back at my friend, who had a very defeated look on his face. I know it was pointless to argue, and we had gotten out of there quickly, doing our best to evade whatever. Chased us far into the woods. Everything had gone quiet, and we hadn't heard much of anything now. We eventually did make it back, and we were informed that what, what we had encountered was a part of our training mission. No further questions were allowed. The portion and part of our base that we tried to enter into did not allow trainees in, including us, which was a strict part of a military facility. Everything was coordinated for us to encounter these beings by the military as some sort of training operation. These are things I didn't learn until much later on. I went on to serve for a few more years and got out. I lost contact with all my buddies. Had a truck pull into my deserted primitive camping area on National Forest land around 2 a.m. and stopped right next to my tent. Now, in context, I was camping alone. This was a designated camping area, and I was the farthest back from the road, a good 200 feet. I had no fire going, still visible from the road, though. Anyone just wanting to turn around could have done so right at the front. Around 2 a.m., this truck comes in, drives all the way back to my tent, and stops right next to it, just sitting there. I could tell the type of vehicle by the silhouette its headlights cast through my tent. There was absolutely no legitimate reason for anyone to do that. So I'm there in my small frame tent, which I'd made the bad judgment of setting up with its door towards the road, thus providing me no cover to exit, and all I can do is sit there in my tent with my AR-15 at the ready, freezing my butt off in 39-degree weather because I had to crawl out of my sleeping bag and was just in my underwear. Knowing if they mean harm and there's more than one person, I'm almost certainly dead because I'm a sitting duck. Note, I had the uh, AR-15 in the tent with me because it was bear country. Fortunately for me, they probably decided there wasn't anything worth stealing and left after a few minutes without getting out of their vehicle. All my valuable stuff was locked up in my SUV, and all I had visible was some cookware and a small camp stove. I learned a few things from that. One, get a bigger tent that I can more easily move around in, and it's quicker to get out of. And two, always set your tent up with a door facing away from the road to provide some degree of concealment if you need to exit. Remember, folks... Not all predators walk on four legs. 
Some walk on two. We live in New Brunswick, Canada. On July 22, 2023, in the early morning, we were awoken by our six-month-old daughter crying. We heard this on the baby monitor in our room. As usual, we got up to check on him, me to grab her and console her, my wife to prepare a bottle for her. I picked her up, and as I left the nursery, I looked down the stairs to my right, through the garage window. I saw a tall, thin, black entity. I know I saw it, and as I looked at it, darted inhumanly fast, out of sight. I walked to the room with our daughter. My wife had the bottle ready, and I tried to get the dog to leave the room with me. He was too scared to leave the room, which is unusual. I eventually coaxed him to follow me. As soon as we left the room, the dog tucked its tail between its legs and headed to the desk in the living room. It stayed under and trembled. I would dismiss this as my mind playing tricks on me. However, when I was 19, and I am 36 now, I had an experience with a tall, slender black being, which has haunted me ever since. I don't talk about it as people judge quickly and won't believe. I used to live and work in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan at Walmart. I also worked at a popular bar or restaurant. Needless to say, I worked a shift in the city until midnight at Walmart. The store was four city blocks from the residence where I was staying. If you have ever worked there, you punch your SIN number into a computer at the back of the store. This starts your shift. I punched out after the shift and walked home. It was dark in the city, but with the lights you could see very well. I walked south two blocks and then cut through the parking lot. When I reached the sidewalk again, I noticed an eerie lack of light, took two steps and heard a metallic sound. I looked around, feeling strange, and noticed the city lights were missing. I could not see the store. There was only blackness. Then I heard a metallic cling twice from behind me. I spun around quickly to see an alien gray in color with a triangular face and black eyes. I was not panicked and said hi. The alien quickly shot out of its arm and touched me with a finger on my chest. I was not scared at this point. As the finger touched me, there was a strong electric charge I could feel. This charge paralyzed me and I felt forced fear. Every nerve ending in my body reverberated with this shock. The fear I experienced did not come from me, but felt forced, and it was one thousand times stiflable than any I had ever endured. The fear was so intense that my heart pounded instantly. I had to focus quickly and steadily on slowing my pulse as I didn't think my heart could sustain my life otherwise. The next thing I knew, I woke up on a metallic rectangular table with six, seven to eight foot tall, thin black beings standing around me. And oh my God, one had its hand inside me. It felt like it tore me apart. The pain I remember and the forced fear are still there. I am paralyzed, trying desperately to move. The entity towering above me passed through my entire body. It felt like it tore me apart and put me back together. Unimaginable pain. I blacked out. The next thing I know, I wake up. It's all black and I'm on a metallic floor. I hear clinging to the floor. I see four of these tall black entities. They kick me, hurting me more. I try to move, but I'm still paralyzed. Fear running through every nerve ending in my body. I can't fight it. It's almost electrical. I feel like I'm going to die here. I don't want to die here. No, dear God, no. I grow angry as I get beat. I look in my mind and struggle with all I have trying to move to do anything. I force a little movement. I raise an arm, but my body is still isn't cooperating. It takes everything I have, but damn it, I'm dying here fighting. The rest of me cannot move as I swing and I hit one of the entities, causing the fear to become even stronger and the paralysis to become even worse. My body becomes limp, trapped in my body, scared and unable to get up. I black out. The only thing I remember next is waking up in bed at home, trembling and convulsing uncontrollably, completely paralyzed and suffering the forced fear. I want to move, but I can't. The pain in my heart is unbearable.
My heart beats like it's about to explode. My body feels like it's vibrating from my heart beating so fast. My focus is on preventing death with all I have. Slowing down my heart helps me calm it. I, I try to move, but it feels like four hours. God only knows. I'm still paralyzed, still in that damn fear. Finally, I broke free. I walk upstairs. My mom looked shocked to see me, explaining to me I was absent for three days, thought I was at a friend's. In my mind, I missed no time. I thought I had a nightmare. I told myself I had a dream. Not so lucky. I checked the computer at work, and it showed I was there. No one at work recalls me being there. They told me I had missed my shift. I had no memory for three days. What is the power to do this? The only thing that proved I wasn't insane was the computer. My memory is absent for a day. I saw that damnable thing again tonight. I loaded the guns and waited for daylight. I last saw it when I was 19, and I am now 30, six years old. My memories of it used to be so awful that I'd remember pieces over the years. I would wake up paralyzed in sweat and terrified. I fought the fear in my mind until I could remember and not enter into convulsions, still function and still move. I would have dismissed what I witnessed tonight, but I've seen it before. No one believes. No one cares. Not sure why they came back, but I felt I needed to write this. This incident involved my fiancée in April 2011. To this day, she refuses to talk about it, but I decided to post it here to see what others can get out of it. We then lived in Bangor, Maine. It was around 10, 30 p.m. that evening. I was on a late shift at work, and she was home alone with our cat in our apartment. She said she read while the cat slept on her lap. A moment later, the cat stood up and stared intently at the outside door. He then mewled and scampered into the bedroom. He had never acted like that before. So she assumed it was just another weird thing cats do. Just as she got comfortable again, the doorbell rang. She thought it was strange that someone would want to visit at that time of night. She got up and peeked through the hole, but saw nothing. So she turned away from the door when there were three loud knocks. She was immediately alarmed, but curiosity took the best of her, and she cracked the door to see who was there. She saw a boy around eleven or twelve, though short, standing there. She opened the door to ask what he wanted. She assumed that this child had either gotten locked out of another apartment or asked for help. That's when he looked up at her, and she noticed his eyes. The light from the apartment spilled out into the hallway, affirming his black eyes. She claimed she was paralyzed by shock as the child demanded entry. By that time, the cat had come out of the bedroom and lay on the floor behind her, ears folded back and hissing. She said she felt compelled to say yes, but as she stared into those cold black eyes, she suddenly slammed the door and locked the deadbolt. She claimed that she listened to the child's footsteps in the hallway, but heard nothing. After several terrifying minutes, she peeked out the door and the child was gone, or disappeared. She said she had never been so scared in her life. She thought the cat's hissing interrupted her paralysis, allowing her to regain her thoughts and quickly close the door. She never discusses it, though I'm sure she wonders what may have happened if she had let the black-eyed boy into the apartment. Every town has its urban legend. Bigfoot, Mothman, Dogman, and of course the occasional ghost story, such is the case for the town of Wintermill. Along the northern border of the town lies the Sherman Lake, or as it's been called lately, the Lonely Skaters Lake. The story begins with a young woman with hair like golden silk. She was elegant graceful and a goddess on the ice. Every winter, when the lake froze over, she was the first to put on her ice skates. Her agility and skill was so great that any onlooker would be stilled into silence. Her movements caught the sunlight just right, sending beams glistening off her golden hair and silk-white tights. She was preparing herself for the Winter Olympics and dreamed of that golden medal around her neck. 
So, every winter she was out on the ice, and her skills grew ever greater. One year there was a warm winter. Weeks went by without the temperature dropping long enough for the lake to freeze. The woman waited impatiently, ticking down the days till spring and growing desperate as it approached. Finally, on a chilly winter night, the temperature dropped enough for the lake to freeze, and out she went. She didn't often skate at night, but having missed so many days, she was desperate. She slid and glided along the ice, and silver moonlight danced off her yellow hair and sharpened skates. Unknown to her, she was being watched. From the shores of the lake stood a man, many think to be a scorned lover. He put on his own pair of skates and went out to her. She was so focused on her routine, she didn't notice his approach. She only became aware of his presence when his hands went around her waist. He skated in sync with her, lifting her and twirling her around as they danced on the ice. No one knows what was said, but that she turned him down once again, and for the last time. He had his hands on her dainty hips skating behind her. Red flashed before his eyes, and he lifted one foot with glistening steel. The man swiped the bottom of his skate against her heels, slashing both of them. The woman cried out, falling to the icy ground and screaming in pain. Her Achilles tendons were slashed wide open, and blood stained her white skates and tights. The heat from her blood proved too much for the recently frozen ice, and it melted beneath her. Down she was sucked into the blackness of the lake, her voice crying out in large, shimmering bubbles. The last thing she saw was the silhouette of the man against the silver moon. Since then, and for every winter yet to come, when the lake freezes over, some say you can catch a glimpse of the once-talented young skater. She glides on the ice as a shimmering white silhouette, the moonbeams still dancing off her. But where she skates, she leaves a long trail of shimmering red, melting the ice wherever she goes. You can sometimes still hear her screams before she disappears below the ice in a cloud of red and white smoke. I was talking on the telephone when a foul odor suddenly filled the room. It was a strange and unsettling scent that made me uneasy. I decided to go to my bedroom, but as I entered, I couldn't shake the feeling that someone was watching me. My instincts were on high alert, and I felt a sense of foreboding. Looking out the window, I was astonished to see an oval-shaped object with portholes surrounded by red, green, and white lights that were revolving around it. It hovered about 100 feet above, and its diameter was an impressive 75 feet. The sight was surreal, and I was both fascinated and frightened. I immediately woke up my husband, Everett, and he saw it too. We were both taken aback by the mysterious craft in the sky. I felt the need to share this bizarre encounter with my married daughter, Mrs. Janet Emery, who lived about a mile away. The Emerys also witnessed the unusual sight, and their neighbor even saw it through binoculars, confirming its extraordinary nature. Janet went outdoors to observe more closely and saw the UFO eject a red ball which moved in an erratic manner while the first UFO departed southward. The red ball flew just a few feet above her head, and she described it as oval with a shiny underside that resembled aluminum foil. It was larger than her cottage and yard combined. The whole experience was accompanied by the same foul odor that I had initially smelled. When I finally went to bed, the strange odor still lingered in the house. After some time, the room was suddenly filled with a brilliant white light, illuminating everything around me. It was an instant that felt like eternity. Then as quickly as the light appeared, it vanished, leaving me startled and bewildered. Right at the foot of my bed, a globe of light, about 21 inches in diameter, materialized. Inside this globe were five beings with non-human features. They had hairless heads with oval, sunken eyes, and instead of noses, there were only slits. The most unsettling part was that they had no mouths. The communication with these beings was telepathic, and they repeated the message. We have made contact several times. The encounter was beyond anything I could comprehend, and I couldn't contain my fear. 
I screamed in terror, and in an instant the globe of light disappeared, leaving me in a state of shock. The experience left a profound impact on me, and I was so disconcerted that I sought psychiatric care for the next two years. The encounter with those enigmatic beings remains etched in my memory, a haunting and unexplainable event that still baffles me to this day. I was alone on my way home from vacation. I was driving a pickup pulling a camper. It was after 11 p.m. on a summer night. I was about two hours from home, but wanted to get home. Yet that night, I was traveling through a wooded area. It was about 50 miles of just trees on both sides of the road, with an occasional house every five or so miles. I saw something move up ahead. I immediately slowed down, thinking there was a deer in the road. As I passed, I saw a young woman walking on the extreme shoulder near the ditch. She was walking with traffic. She had on knee-high socks, a very short, pleated-type cheerleader-type skirt, and a halter top. She was tall with long brown hair. Since this was the middle of nowhere on a road that sees only a few cars per hour, I immediately assumed she was in some sort of trouble fight with a boyfriend and left stranded, car trouble, etc. I was not going very fast at this point, so I pulled over, hit the emergency flashers, set the parking brake, grabbed the flashlight, and got out and went back to see if she needed assistance. When I got to the rear of the trailer, she was gone. I shined the flashlight up and down both sides of the road, the ditches and even the tree line, but saw no one. I drove the rest of the way home with the hair on the back of my neck standing on end. The year, 1990, Desert Storm and Nelson Mandela being freed from prison. Myself and three friends, while serving in the British Army, traveled to Brighton, England, for a few days of R&R holiday, the weather being particularly hot that year, we were wasting no time enjoying it. Myself and my friend Andy decided to go for a walk along Brighton Pier, famous for its amusement arcade and ice cream. Whilst there, we got to speaking to two young German girls from Nuremberg, and we hit it off immediately. They spoke broken English, and we tried our best World War II movie German commandant accents with them. For the next few hours, we all laughed and joked about everything with each other, and the language barrier became less of a distraction as the evening wore on. One girl was a blonde and the other a redhead. Both beautiful and way out of our league, and yet they liked us and wanted to know more about us. As we were both in the awkward teenage years, myself and Andy didn't know which girl liked who, and I was just glad to get some attention from the opposite sex. After a while, we all decided to meet again at the same time and place the next day. They left the pier to join friends while we waited for our other two friends to join us. The following evening filled with nerves and apprehension. Myself and Andy made our way to the pier. Standing at the entrance were these two beautiful German girls, all dressed up in tight dresses waiting for us. I couldn't believe my luck. We all walked to the pier and got some food before deciding we should all go to the cinema to see Bird on a wire starring Mel Gibson. Myself and Andy looked at each other, knowing that this would be the ideal place to find out which girl liked who. We made our way to the pier exit, but at this point, for the strangest reason ever, Andy walked ahead of all of us and ran across the large open road in front of us. I called him back, but he continued to run toward the other side. Knowing that he was heading in the wrong direction to the cinema, I apologized to the girls and asked them to stay where they were so I could return my idiotic friend. I ran over to the other side, approximately 20 meters in width, where he was standing at. I grabbed him and said, What are you doing? The cinema is this way. He could not provide any reason or rationale for his behavior. At this point, we both quickly headed back to the other side of the road, but to our bemusement, the girls were nowhere to be seen. This is less than 10 to 15 seconds since I spoke to them. Now, if you could picture the scene at Brighton Pier, 
It's a long, wide-open road that stretches out a long distance and would require some amount of running for the girls to hide, especially running in the dresses that they were wearing. We looked everywhere for the next few hours, searching the pier pretty extensively, but to no avail and eventually giving up and being annoyed with Andy. The next day at the same time, we came back to the pier to seek out the girls, but they never showed up. The next day we had to leave to go elsewhere and never got the chance to speak to those two German girls from Nuremberg. Andy and me lost touch, not long after that, but caught up 25 years later. After a few war stories and some alcohol, the topic of Brighton came up. We discussed what happened that night. Maybe after all this time, Andy would have a different view of the story that I had on it, but he didn't, and to this day he still felt as I did about it spooked as hell. We both discussed. Where did they go and what happened? Why did Andy walk away without reason? How could we not see them run away if that is what they decided to do? So many more unanswered questions. To this day, I don't know if those two girls from Germany are alive, dead or just part of our imagination. Or was it something more paranormal? <laughs>